0: This is a Stand-Up New York Labs production, providing you podcasts since twenty thirteen.
1: Testing, testing. Okay. Let me get nice and snug with you, Ted. Okay. I don't mean to interrupt your reading. We're doing a podcast here. Well, you know. Ted is uh, perusing. What are you reading uh, now? Yeah.
0: This is a book called Shakespeare and Sable, a history of black. Shakespearean actors. Oh wow, that's pretty good, huh?
1: He's hot. Oh, yeah.
0: And uh, it's mainly about Ira Aldridge, who was the first black person to stand on the stage as Othello in 1830. Oh wow! Ain't that a bitch? Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean no offense.
1: We all we try and say <laughs> bitch as much as possible, uh, folks. Uh, first of all, hey everybody, Raylan Casper White here. Ray
0: uh, Lynn. <laughs> I like saying that name, Ray Lynn.
1: It has a nice a nice ring. My mother, Phelan, that's the one good thing she bestowed upon me is my Your name. Your mother's name is Phelan? Yeah. yeah. She's not creative, but, you know, that R gives it a nice little kick.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if she, how did she get her name Phelan?
1: Yeah, Phelan. Oh, wow. You know what? I can't stand my fucking mom, and I never thought of that punnery, and I'm good with puns. Phelan. Phelan. Okay. Okay. I apologize for the technical. As you can tell, I had my – I used to record – at Stand Up New York in a proper studio. I've now relocated to Los Angeles because I just wanted some sun and vitamin D and to fuck some surfer dudes. So I'm trying to cover all bases. But I have this mic.
0: Surfer dudes? Oh, I can well, hook you up.
1: Well, why not? I can hook you up. Yeah, I some <laughs> surfer
0: dudes. Well, they are kind of fucking old, but hey.
1: Aging surfer dudes are fine. Anybody, yeah. you know, anybody under, whatever. I'm not going to. I'm They not Got a-
0: flat stomachs. So okay. there's their. As
1: long as ever the apparatus is working.
0: Yeah, yeah. The apparatus is working and they got pills if it ain't.
1: Um, who knew that Isaac was so fucking kinky? So let me just preface right. here, I am here, uh, this week in my Airbnb rental. As you can see, they're big on 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 glitter and sequins. Um, I'm here with uh, Ted Lange, uh, amazing actor, director, playwright, or just writer. But of course, you um know him as Isaac from the Love Boat. I got to tell you, I Love Boat changed changed my life. I mean,
0: no, it. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. I mean, no, I love that. No, did you then, say that? I went through,
1: I had a, a tumultuous childhood. and I think a lot of kids that grew up in the 80s, you know, late 70s, 80s, um, feel this way. What What, what years did the show run? Just remind 70, me. 78
0: to 88.
1: Okay. So, yeah, so in that t- time period, it was an escape for me. There was something magical. Now, granted, I hate fucking cruise ships. Like, I vomit in the bathtub. I get very seasick. But there was that kind of power duo between the Love Boat and then Fantasy Island, which always creeped me out a little bit. It was a little bit dark for me. And, like, I'm like, you know.
0: because of Verve Villages or what?
1: No, just the show. It was always a little supernaturally. And things were always dark. And there's a jungle. You never know who was going to get, you know, molested in there. But the Love Boat, there was, I had no idea at the time about, you know, there were druggish. Who knows? Like Brady Bunch. I watched the Brady Bunch. Who knew that the mom was fucking all the kids in the guest house or the the dog house, whatever, tree house. And Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. What happened to Marsha, Marsha, Marsha? was doing drugs. You didn't have seen that? No, I knew oh. that McCoy. Wasn't Julie McCoy doing drugs? Yeah, yeah.
0: That's what they tell me. I don't know. See, now
1: now right. we're getting politically Wait.
0: diplomatic. Well, because well, she's my friend and we never sat and did blow together. So I don't know. But that's. Well,
1: if you're I'm not doing a blow with her, I'm sure she never did blow. Yeah.
0: That's how I'd look at it.
1: Okay. That's the way it should be looked at. Yeah. I'm not. I never, did, I never did blow. I'm not a blow per. It doesn't appeal to me. I think I'm wired enough as is. Like, I don't even have coffee because I feel like I'm going to jump off a roof. I did do ecstasy once. That have you done ecstasy? Oh
0: wow, no, I haven't. How was that? It was.
1: It was fun. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was I fun. It
0: was pretty good. Yeah. I did. I never got around to trying it. And I
1: think that that they have Molly now. Molly is like ecstasy, but better. I don't know. I, I'm not well versed with what the kids are doing now. Even though my kids are probably all doing myth. But Love Boat, I would watch. I would tune in, and they really became my my family. I didn't have any family around. You know what I mean? My daddy had been non-existent since the beginning of time, and Phelan was a bitch. But something about that was just they had a nice arc. You always knew at the end they would go off the, the gangplank in a better state than when they came in. And that, to me, was so gratifying. Even though it was so predictable, there was some, it was like comfort food without the gas. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I don't recall Beside, now correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm trying to be politically correct, but I might say some stupid shit. All right. At the time, I remember watching some black comedies like, uh Sanford and son and and good times and the Jeffersons and stuff are they corollaries or was were you were you being a black person on that show was that like a milestone in in the at tv that world time.
0: at that time yeah uh that at the, there's two things that were going on you had the black shows and we actually had some writers come in during that time uh uh we love uh, Producers would change after a couple of years, and one, uh, one at one point, some new producers came in and they brought me into the office and sat me down and said, "Hey, Ted, we're we're not going to write any shows for you." And I. I said,
1: this is after you got cast as the as the part.
0: This is like five years to six years into the show, and so they came on and they said, uh, we, "We we can't write for you." And I said, well, why not? What are you talking about? He said, well, we'll put you in stories, but we're not gonna write a story for you because we don't know how to write black. We, we can't write black shows. We don't know how to do that for, or for black characters. I said, oh, that's okay, this is Love Boat. I'm not playing a black character. You could write a gopher story and then at the last uh, pass, change the, la- the name from gopher to Isaac and you'll be fine.
1: But do you mean that the other shows were specific to black? I know the Jeffersons had a lot of race stuff, but like Good Time, were they doing all race stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's how they looked at it. Mm. See, so you had Sanford and Son, and they would look at it a certain way. You had the Jefferson, and you had, of course, Good Time. Good Time was very racially motivated. I know that I talked to John Amos, and he was upset with Norman Lear because they wanted to do an episode in which J.J. painted a girl naked in their home. And uh, John Amos got into a big fight with Norman. He said, in a poor family, they wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. They might do that in an upper-class family, but not in a, a family that lives in the projects. And so they had no, but that's funny. Mama, they're looking for the joke. Were
1: all the writers on that show what?
0: <laughs> yeah, not all of them, most of them. Okay. Most of them. And then uh, on the bottom line is that everything had to go through Norman. You know, so Norman had the final say, and the only time he got pushback is if, and see, most people don't know, John Amos started out as a writer.
1: So wait, so take me back, though. I wanted to say, when you first got cast, they had the the whole cast cast, and the character was written as a black character, or did they want you for the role? Give me a little background on how you started off.
0: Okay, so they did the first pilot, and they had a guy named Teddy Wilson playing, I think his name was Moses, the uh, bartender.
1: Was he black?
0: He was black. And he and I did a black series called That's My Mama. Okay, and he was the mailman. If you go on YouTube, you can look it all up and you can say, Okay, so he was on the first pilot. The pilot wasn't successful. So they did a second pilot. And the second pilot, they cast me. Now, the reason they cast me is because I had done That's My Mama. This is ABC TV. Then I did another series for ABC called Mr. T and Tina with Pat Morita. This is before Karate Kid. Before Karate Kid. Okay. So he and I had a great chemistry. So Jimmy Comac then said, well, I'm going to do a series with you and Pat for CBS. And they wanted to get what they call holding money. Okay. Well, In the process of trying to get the holding money for the both of us, uh, ABC said, hey, put this guy in Love Boat because he did a really good job on Mr. T and Tina. So I went in the Love Boat without a screen test. They just Mm -hmm. plopped me in. Now, it was no uh, big expense for them because I had two lines in the beginning, two lines in the end, and I had a little bit in the middle of the show. Really, anybody could have done it. There was no character there, you know. There's a, so that's what we did. And then um, second pilot, they found me, Bernie, and Fred.
1: Okay, so Fred was Gopher, and Bernie was McLe- the the doc. Ca- doc.
0: Okay, they didn't have a captain. they didn't have a girl. Now the captain that they had was a really good looking guy in the second pilot. Uh, named Ted Hamilton, and uh, the uh, the girl was a girl from New York, and she was better than television. She didn't. She felt this was beneath her, <laughs> so she kept complaining. Oh wow! You know what? Well, fired her. Yeah. Well, they said, uh, we'll we'll look for another girl. Okay. They, I don't know if they fired her. But they said we're gonna look for another girl, and they found Gavin as the captain.
1: I gotta be honest with you. I like a bald man. I found to be. I found Gavin to be sexier. Doc always got the ladies, but he was just kind of like c- cucumbery and pruny. I mean, I don't hate to badmouth, but I was like, how is this guy getting laid? Why is this the hot guy? At least put a really hot guy. I thought Captain Steubing should have been the, the, the womanizer.
0: Well, you know, when you're writing, you get to write whatever you want. <laughs> so Bernie was going like this Oh, man, who am I going to do? But
1: Bernie thing? was a writer on the show?
0: No, Bernie was the actor, Doc, but the writers are writing, okay, Doc gets another girl. And so, uh, you know, that's how that went. So that's why sometimes people say, like you... I didn't find him that sexy or, or I thought it should have been somebody else But Bernie's going like this Man, did I fall into a gold mine here Yeah, yeah
1: Was there, Um, I want to get this out of the way Were Was there hookups between the cast Or did you guys like, fuck visiting cast members Can you give me some juice on that Because I'm like, there's gotta be You're on a cruise ship You're actually sailing, aren't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of opportunity Whether people took that opportunity or not I don't know uh, well, Did you? I don't know.
1: Oh man, come on, Isaac, <laughs> Ted. Okay, well,
0: you're man, not. There might have been uh, a couple of moments in life where, okay. you know, I uh, enjoyed myself.
1: You had all those amazing guest stars. All these famous people come on as as guest stars. Yeah,
0: but it's hard to talk a guest star in the bed. It's easier to talk someone else. Yeah, man, okay. come on. You know, I, I, I don't. But I believe well, you. you. You don't know. Come on. <laughs> Raylin,
1: Raylin, <laughs> come are, on! Man. I love how peppy you are. You're yeah. pe- you're super peppy, but okay. I knew that about you. Okay. So tell me, did you feel coming in as kind of a? Did you feel initially that you're like a diversity hire? Did you have to fight to get more lines? Like, did you feel like you were busting up against like this is some racist tensions and like respect me, write me a real character? Did you feel that?
0: Well, you never say racist. You can't say that in Hollywood because then they got you. Okay. You can't approach it that way. You can approach it through character and you can approach it through the situation of the story you say well why did i help this people these people out give them a drink and tell them how to solve their problem they solve their problem uh by the end of the show and they don't thank me they thank somebody else to tell me you know that doesn't make sense now maybe that's racism or maybe they're ignorant or maybe they don't know how to tell a story. So then my job was to tell them and teach them how to tell a story. I think you should have Isaac receive the thank you.
1: And did that work? How did you communicate well with the, with the showrunner?
0: Well, no, that, you know, there were a lot of problems. Uh, there were a lot of problems. And uh, we eventually worked it out, but it took a couple of years, you know. Cause...
1: Well, can you tell me any anecdotes? Like when you actually approached the showrunner and said, this is not cool.
0: I, I I didn't say this is not cool. I said, I don't understand. See, if a black man goes to a white man and says, Hey, you ain't cool, man. What the hell's going on here? Then they go, well, what are you so upset about? I just say, Hey, I, I don't understand this. Because in storytelling, it this begets A begets B, B begets C. Okay? And you skipped B how come there you know what i mean so that's how you had in the 70s and the early 80s that's how you had to approach it because uh these guys would uh stamp you out and as as a matter of fact uh, the first 2 years i uh, the uh pr- producer went to the network and said this guy isn't working i mean he's not working out we we want to get we want to let this character go and then
1: cuz you were complaining a lot
0: I wasn't complaining. I was just didn't understand stuff. Okay, yeah. yeah, you were confused, as they confused. say. I was confused, Ray Lynn. I don't understand. You know, and then all of the white people on the show, their stories were going right by the book, and then they come around to me. I was confused. How come my thing didn't? But then maybe once or twice there would be a story for me, and that would have all of the elements that it should have. So when, it's, when I'm not having a story and I'm part of the plot, how come there's a piece in there that we skip? So that's what I did. Well, anyway, what happened was we went to the, the, the network, went to my agent and said, hey, what's going on with Ted? We like Ted, but he's having problems with this uh, producer. And my agent said, uh, well, what do you mean? And so then he and I had a conversation. Uh, then I had to go in and sit and talk with the producer. Now, do you know about Scoey Mitchell? Scoey Mitchell punched a producer out. Okay, Scoey Mitchell's a stand-up. You might like that, Ray Lynn. And uh, he was black and he was earlier in the 70s uh, doing television. So you know at that time they were moving a lot of stand-ups into sitcoms. And he, he did uh, Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. Okay, and funny man, nice man. But sometimes dealing with the situation with, if they push the right button, they can get you to explode. And he exploded on a producer and knocked him down. I don't know if he knocked him out, but he knocked him down. Bam! <laughs> like Jesus that. Jesus Christ, are yeah. blowing my computer out here. Yeah, Jesus. That's, that's what the deal was. Because okay. they were arguing about comedy and art. And how boom, right? Skoy hauled off and hit this guy. Well, that was it for him. That was it. You're done. You're out of here. Now, when I say that, they didn't completely, you know, but he found it difficult. He found it much more difficult. So I go in to talk to this producer, and I'm sitting there talking to the producer. He's across the desk from me, and I'm sitting in a chair very much like this chair, and he uh, says to me, uh, you know what you did this year, Ted, on the show? I go, yeah. Yeah. He says, well, you're not going to do any more this coming year on the show.
1: Was he referring to you, com- like, confused by the, the dialogue yeah. and your lack of
0: storyline? Yeah, yeah. He was basically saying, uh, we wrote you light this year, and we're not going to write you any heavier. Maybe we might even write you lighter this coming year. Mm-hmm. So I took this hand right here, okay, because I'm a right-handed, and I boxed in uh, mm-hmm. school, and I sat on it like this and then i take this other hand and i sat on that
1: it's good impulse control is important do what you have to do
0: yeah and uh, so then he leaned over the desk so i could pop him and i couldn't believe him and he was looking for that button to push but i already knew about scoey so i'm sitting there and i'm really trying to keep my legs down so that i don't come up and smack him uh and I didn't. So he
1: Happy ending to that story. Yeah,
0: he couldn't go back to the network and say, See the guy, see what the guy did? I didn't do anything to deserve this. He couldn't say that. Anyway, uh as it turns out, and I didn't know this, besides me having some issues, Gavin had some issues. Stubing. Yes, Captain Stubing. So he was he was
1: actors are never fucking happy. You're on a hit show, always complaining.
0: Yeah, that's right. He was and he's felt Am I in the star of the show? And they go, yeah. He said, well, I don't get any stories. I'm servicing Ginger Rogers. I'm servicing this actress and that famous actress. I want some stories.
1: Right, as opposed to just being a vehicle for the guest stars, you want the, the main characters for us to be invested in their personal lives, but you guys were just
0: all in service of others. Because you should be happy that you're on a hit show. Yeah.
1: That's what I think personally. Yeah, yeah you yeah, keep yeah. busting my, yeah, I got to adjust yeah, yeah. that in editing. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, anyway, so we, uh, the big boss, the executive.
1: Is that Aaron Spelling?
0: Aaron Spelling. So I'm dealing with the lesser guy. Aaron Spelling has a meeting, and he calls all of us in, and we find out, uh, uh, he says, I, I didn't know this, but I, well, there's some uh, disenchantment on the set. What's going on here? So Gavin explains his position. And I didn't know, but he asked, he said, Ted, are you having problems? And I explained my position. I was shocked that, you know, yeah, here's my problem. I'm supposed to be... Uh, part of the show and and all the white actors are in the opening and all the white actors in the closing i'm show up somewhere in the middle
1: you weren't in the closing when they walk off the gangplank
0: no that's what i'm saying to you well
1: you were making cocktails for other people
0: yeah and i was solving some of their problems and they would say hey doc tell isaac that it worked
1: okay that's stupid that really i have to look back at episodes there episodes where they said tell isaac thank you
0: first two years first two years of the show So and that was my thing. I would go to the guy. I said, I don't understand this. i helped solve the guy's problem. And they they would say to me, well, what would you be doing saying goodbye to the guys, uh, to the passengers? And I said, well, what would the captain be doing? He should be on the bridge. Why is Doc there? He should be in sick pay. If we're going to talk about logic, why are those guys there if I'm not there? So that's what uh, Aaron Spelling said to this guy. He says, well, how come he's not there? They said, Aaron, he's a bartender. What the hell would a bartender be doing there and so aaron said well is there any reason that a bartender might be there?" he said well yeah if he was the head bartender and
1: that's it cats out of the bag
0: cats out of the bag and spelling said we'll make him head bartender figure out a way to make him head bartender and put him in the opening and put him in the closing."
1: i mean what's also so ridiculous is the audience could care less if you were head or junior they just want to see you because you were like one of the most beloved characters now they're suddenly worried about what osha you know what i mean like why is the head bartender not at the fucking thing you could also be giving away like goodbye cocktails you could be making you know mimosas for people as they disembark so fucking bullshit sorry i get that's, worked up
0: that's racism right. oh i'm sorry yeah, <laughs> hey,
1: hey, I'm, we I'm, have a black man on the show today <laughs> <laughs> and literally killing me
0: i'm a stage actor too so you know you don't need yeah, me i'm right
1: here i'm in yeah, front row I mean, oh, there's right, nobody uh, in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the uh, balcony uh, section they that that area is cordoned off for construction
0: yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that was the deal. So he, we addressed it that way, and that, that little head bartender was a cop-out mm-hmm. that didn't sell. So uh, normally it might have sold to someone else, but okay. Spelling was looking for no conflict, so that's what they did. And then from that, like the third year on, they then I was involved in the show.
1: Was Aaron Spelling a nice man?
0: Yeah, he was a very nice man. But he was, very, uh, he was really disengaged. It was really Doug Kramer's baby. And he would come around for good news, you know. You know what like I like
1: mean? a step, like not a step parent, but like you know, Goodness. the Disney dad.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's Christmas time. Here's your bonus. Okay. That's did the guy um, he wanted to be?
1: Did Tori Spelling ever come visit as a baby on set?
0: Uh, Tori Spelling. I directed Tori Spelling. In what? In on Love Boat, one of her first acting gigs.
1: I wonder how she got that job. Was it a, just a straight audition? or Was it offer only? And
0: she came in the limousine to the set. And her mama was there, her mama's best friend was there, and an acting coach was there.
1: And was she good?
0: Yeah, actually she was, but, it, you, you know, I mean, the poor girl had, you, you, she'd do a scene, and then the mama, the girlfriend, who was an actress, and uh, the acting coach would then hover around her.
1: Oh God, no wonder she's, full well, now she has like 16 kids and is on a reality show, so it's, it's not a, no, it's kind of a given.
0: You know, you, want, you, you say, this kid is lucky she turned out as normal as she did.
1: It's all just your children. She's putting her energy into other beings, but I don't. Uh, you know, I was when I heard about the Brady Bunch debacle. There, you know what I mean with the intercourse uh, on set. It kind of shattered me Cause, cause, No. not on set. I don't know that she was f- no. fucking Greg. I
0: I know Florence. Florence was a sweetheart. She really was. She was. I,
1: yeah. She wasn't fooling around with Greg. and the
0: I, I think she took him out on a date or something, but I don't know how far it went. But let me just tell you. I liked Mama Brady. You know what I'm saying?
1: No, I thought she was tied to, I don't. She, it's their business. I just think it's... But
0: I don't think she was doing him on the set. Okay.
1: All yeah, right, well, we, more power it. to her. I yeah. mean, you know, let's be honest. I don't remember if... I don't remember the other act. Like, where'd they all go? But, you know, you kind of want to wish that everybody got along and it was this... idealic because you want to sustain that kind of suspended whatever reality. But it's also really fun to hear like the dramas behind the scenes. You know, like when, you know, when people that are pretending to be lovers can't stand each other. Uh, so... Did the cast, and I'm not insinuating or guiding the questions, but maybe I am, but <laughs> did uh, did anybody in the cast not get along? Because I know sometimes on sit- sitcoms, like with big stars, they get annoyed if another actor has a funny line and they don't get it. So they tell the writers, you know, you're making money because of me. I want the funny line. Did that happen on that show too?
0: No, not on our show. The, the beauty of our show is that we all liked each other, loved each other. We all looked out for each other. And that was, for me, as a black actor in a white situation, that was the saving grace of the show. Because uh, one day we were doing something on the set and the writers came in, and, and Fred and Bernie, uh, Doc and Gopher, were there and they said, you know, Ted, we, we've run out of ideas for a story for you. So we're not going to, uh, we, we had slotted you for a story here, but no one can come up with an idea. And Bernie and Fred said, well, we got an idea. We'll write, we'll write an episode for Ted. That's amazing. Can you believe that? Yeah. Where the guys are saying, and uh, they wrote this episode, Bernie and Fred wrote a wonderful episode, better than what the writers were writing at that time. But no, we, we, we're, still, we're all still friends. Uh, Is everybody still alive? Everybody's still alive. Uh, Fred and I are doing, we did, this past March, we did uh, I'm Not Rappaport, which is about two old men, a white guy and a black guy. And uh, he and I are going to do it again uh, together in uh, May, in the summer, next summer. But the, the point is, and this is what I love, and what pisses me off sometimes when I see other actors, Fred has some wonderful moments in Rappaport. That's his moment. Right. Let him have his moment. And I've got some moments in Rappaport. He lets me have my moment. What is this other stuff that's going on? It's just We're...
1: fragile egos.
0: Yeah, you know, and they want they want everything. You know, they want everything. And the play is written, in this particular instance, the play is written for you to have a moment, for me to have a moment. So let's do that as opposed to, sometimes you have TV shows, and I, I, I know... Uh, where actress actors and actresses have said, Geez, that's funny. I want the the punchline. And you say, Well, but the, you don't understand. My character is a veterinarian and it's a dog joke. So I said, that's why it's funny because the vet says this, not because a civilian says this. And they don't get it. You know? And then when the joke falls, because they've muscled it. You know, they go, I I thought it was funny, you know. Well, it was funny until you messed it up. So that's that's part of the problem. And I try to teach uh, ensemble when I work with actors. You know, you're a part of it. Give them their moment and you're going to have your moment.
1: Well, that's why I like shows like Seinfeld or Curb where everybody's funny and it makes – Everybody look better if the people you're with are as funny or even funnier than you. You don't have to even be the straight man; sometimes a straight man can get the laugh. But that's the shows where you have the fragile egos, and especially like the sitcommy ones. I think in front of a studio I and mean, those are the ones where they're really worried about every laugh every twenty six seconds or something. Do you? How would you think Love Boat would be different if it was done today? I mean, obviously on Netflix, they'd all be shooting up heroin in you know in the in sick bay and and having whatever. But I'm saying, do you Absolutely. think do you think Love Boat could be a success today if it was rebooted?
0: No, I don't think. Uh, I think you can take those characters and put them in a different situation. I don't think you can put them on the boat anymore. I, I think something that would be interesting is is to see them doing something else and the interpersonal relationship. Because it's all about relationships. You know, we're a little bit long in the tooth to be on a cruise ship working. You know what I mean? Well,
1: they'd hire new actors. You would just be coming in for cameo.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't want to do okay, that. Okay,
1: fuck that. You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, now how did you get from, you were acting on the show, and then how did you broach direct? Were you, again, a pioneer in that regard of a black actor, you know what I mean, of an actor directing episodes and also as a black man? Like, tell me about that, because I'm sorry I don't know the context of the industry at the time.
0: Okay, no, there were not a lot of black directors. Uh, back in the 70s, uh, I went to the American Film Institute and I studied film directing. And so every year, so at the end of the first year, I said, uh, you know, I like to direct an episode. <laughs> Ted, come on, get out of here. Wait, did you hear? Ted wants to direct an episode. No. So then the second year, third year, fourth year, always no. Then what we found out is that they signed us to a five-year contract. Now, normally they sign you to a seven-year contract. So what they wanted to do was renegotiate the five-year contract so that At the end of the fourth year, you couldn't hold them up for a lot of money on the fifth year because that's when your contract was up. So they came to me and they said, hey, what do you want? I said, what do you mean? Well, we want to renegotiate your contract. What do you want? Now, you don't know this, but I know this. But back in the 70s, if you were on a black show, you got less money than if you were on a white show. Mm -hmm. So if you were a regular, if you were and son, you got less money than all in the family's son. OK, or daughter, if you were on Good Times, you got less money than another uh, mod. OK, so uh, that's just the way it was. Everything is cheaper when you're doing a black show and you, you, you've got a nice margin for success. Anyway, so I'm on. A, but I'm on a white show and I got very fortunate because a couple of white actors told me about a thing called Favorite Nations. Favorite Nations is everybody gets the same. So, they had what they call a tier. So on the first tier was Julie McCoy and the captain. Second tier was Bernie Fred and myself, and the third tier was Jill, the daughter, okay? She played Vicky. Uh so by the tier, I mean, uh Bernie may be getting $2000 more than Fred, Fred may be getting uh, two thousand dollars more than me, but so that's the six thousand dollar difference. But I'm still on the same in the same area. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so when they said to me, "What do you want?" I said, "I want exactly whatever you give Fred and Bernie. I want favored nations." So they go, "No, no, no name a figure, name a figure." Because once you name a figure, right. they can negotiate you down. Right. And I said, "No, no, no. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I." I love this gig, so whatever you give the guys, I'm happy to take.
1: Even if they were, pay- i paying you more, but you knew that wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, yeah, so they, uh, and we would meet, and so I said, so they have a, a, a term called coming in. So I was the first person to come in on the deal. All they had to do was wait and see what Fred and Bernie got. Um, and uh, uh, the, uh, the only other perk I wanted was to direct an episode. I said, give me Favorite Nations, let me direct an episode. So we would sit and meet the three of us, and Bernie would say, you know, I deserve more money than you assholes, because I've been around a lot longer. You know, you're only such and such an age. I I did uh, That Girl, I did uh, uh, Get Smart. I, I deserve more money than you. And I would say to Bernie, Bernie, I hope you get as much money as you can get Go take him to the bank. He says, "You're you're fucking with me, asshole." But I'm I'm serious. I want more. I want more money. I said, "Go for it." You know, because whatever he was going to get, right. I've already established that I'm going to get what Bernie gets. Right. So, bottom line is, we all come in, and what Fred does is, Fred wants to write some episodes because he's also a writer. So I think they they gave allotted him like five or half a dozen episodes. Bernie just getting the money. And then I'm going to get the same money as the other two white guys plus directing, okay? That's a good deal. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. But here's how they mess with you, okay? (laughs) So they came back to me and said, Hey, Ted, we know you want to direct. You've been asking us for four years now. You want to direct. You want to direct. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you direct one episode. But if you want to direct that episode we're going to give you a little less money than the white guys but when you direct the episode you will come up salary wise the same so really what you're doing is you're going to be working twice as hard as the other guys to get the same amount of money now if you don't direct we'll just give you the same amount of money and you 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 don't have to feel like you're working twice as hard And I said, no, but I really want to direct. So they said, okay, well, that's the deal. You're going to get $2,000 less. And then when when it comes around for you to direct, you'll get that $2,000 back. All right. So I got, okay, no problem. So what happened was I um, direct this episode. it goes really well because I do my homework. I'm on top of what I wanna do, et cetera, et cetera. I know the cast, you know, and I work uh, well with the guest cast. And so, we used to have these lunches at the end of every season. And so, Doug Kramer would say to us, if you know of any directors, please, you know, tell us who they are, because we're looking for more of a stable of directors, you know, and this goes back to the cast and my relationship with the cast. They said, well, you know, we really love working with Ted. He he is one of the best directors we've had on here. Why don't you give him some more to do? And they go because ah, they didn't because they're used to people backbiting. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, but here are these actors that all all five of the actors say, "Yeah, we love working with Ted. He did a great episode. We got out on time. We, we it was funny." That's
1: all actors care about: whether they get out on time and if the craft is good
0: and if it's funny. Exactly. So uh he said well we have to think about it. We have to think about it. And so they said Ted now you've got we've arranged for you to have you know another episode when do you want to do this episode the beginning of the year the end of the year the middle of the year when do you want to do the next episode and I said well actually Doug I'd like to do one in the beginning one in the middle and one on the end. And then he was thrown and they all, and then the rest of the guys, oh, what a good idea. That's great. So he was kind of backed into a corner. And so what we did was that's how it worked out the following year is that I did three a year.
1: Amazing, amazing. Oh, geez, sorry. There's construction here. L- L.A. is constantly under construction, especially these nice homes.
0: Wait a minute. How can you talk about that being from New York? Every time I walk down the street in New York. Yeah,
1: but New York, there's so much noise otherwise that you don't notice. You know what I mean? Here, it's like it's all quiet and trees and, and spandex, and then you got these fuckers.
0: Where are you originally from? Right I'm or
1: from they? all over. I was born in my—actually, my mom gave birth to me in the, her mobile home on the way to talk to my daddy. In Appalachia, so I kind of was born oh, yeah. all over Appalachia. No, he was. Daddy was from Appalachia, but I, she was literally driving. As I, so, I've kind of been all over, and I've lived all over. So that's why people can't pinpoint. You know what I mean? That they accent. can't pinpoint. Yeah, they can't pinpoint the accent. And then now I'm in New York now, so I've learned some Yiddish words too. Some
0: Yiddish words yeah. in New York, like I learned what? schlep. Schlep. Oh, excuse me. That's
1: okay. It happens. <laughs> it happens when you say those words: schlep and schmutz and schmutz. putz. Putz like just means like a fuck nut if you're a putz, but it sounds nicer, you know what I mean, That's like, don't be a putz, it just schmuck. means don't,
0: what's schmuck, I
1: think, sh- I think schmuck, means either dick or vagina, but it just means an idiot, like an asshole, yeah. so schmuck's an asshole, wait,
0: wait. it means dick or vagina, but it really means asshole, yeah it's
1: That's all, it's it, a, it covers all genitalia, it's one of those catch all phrases, you know what I mean, okay. if you want it, which is good for people, that are maybe, you know figuring shit out, yeah. um, Everything seems so idyllic to me. Please don't tell me that the ship was actually like green screen. Did you guys actually go on cruises every episode, and were you shooting as the, or you had sets that were for the rooms, but you did the exterior stuff when you were actually out to sea? Was it a late, where, tell me about that.
0: This was before green screen.
1: great. So it had to, you actually had to
0: get the cruise ship and actually launch out into sea. No, 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 no. They have what's called process then. And what they did was they set up a movie screen, and then 30 feet back, they would have a uh, film of the ocean, okay? So y- you had to be able to cast at least 30 feet, maybe it was 50 feet, to get the right uh, view of the ocean. So they put the railing out there. We'd stand in front of the railing, and behind us, you could see the ocean. You getting it? Because there was a screen there, like a green screen, except this is prior to green screen. And then what they had to do was synchronize the camera that was showing the ocean with the camera that was filming you. Because mm. the film had to go through at the same speed, the same time, and all of that. So, so
1: when you guys were acting on the railing on the deck, you actually could see the movie screen of the ocean behind yes. you? Yes. Absolutely. Did that help you as an actor?
0: Absolutely. Made me a better actor.
1: No, I'm sure it did. I'd like to have a, a screen of the ocean behind me all the time. Yeah. It beats this fucking shit. Do you know
0: yeah. what I mean? Well, not only that, now it's just green behind you. Yeah.
1: You're acting with other creatures, yeah. I keep thinking about Naomi Watts and King Kong, where you're just acting with the, you know. But that's good acting, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But did you ever go on real cruises? Don't they have oh, some? Yes.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We, we we would do a real cruise once a year for six weeks, and so what they would do is two weeks for each special. So we would have a special to open up the season. We'd have a what they call sweep week. We would have another special, and then we'd have one close out the season. Okay? So there was two weeks to shoot each special. Then we would go to Hong Kong, we go to Greece, we go to uh London. You know, we went all over the world doing these specials.
1: So and you'd shoot the act the whole thing on the ship?
0: On the ship, except for the cabins, because the cabins are actually smaller in the boat, on the boat at that time. They're not now, but back in our day, you know, people come up to me and say, hey, man, I took a cruise, and it was like a closet. I was in a closet, and what the hell? And literally, uh, we we had, a, I had a cabin one time where there was just this little shower, they had two little footprints. You step on the footprint, you wash the front of you. There was a curtain that came around. You wash the front of you, rinse off, then you back into the shower. <laughs> That's how small the cabin was. But uh, yeah, but that was the this whole thing has changed, and part of the reason it's changed is because of our show.
1: You really think that people were more uh, amenable or excited about going on cruises because of the show?
0: Yeah. Oh no, that's proven. Yeah, absolutely. When I did the show, I had a mustache, and I could forget. Yes, and the English barman would say to me, "You, you know, you can't have a mustache and work in food service. Uh, so that's not real." I said, "How many black folks you see on this ship right now?" <laughs> I said, you guys are all English, that's not real either. I'm wearing the mustache, because if I shave off the mustache, I look like I'm 15, I don't look like I should be. So two years later, I'm on taking a cruise, and we're doing a special, and all the bartenders have my mustache. (laughs) Because people are going, you're not Isaac. You know, you gotta have the mustache. And they let them grow the mustache. Yeah. So
1: you were not only influential on the cruise industry, you were influential on facial hair trends.
0: That's it. Uh, if you were on a cruise ship, yes, indeedy.
1: Now, how, how many, uh, can you remember some stories from, like, some of the big stars that the guest starred on the show?
0: Well, I'm going to tell you a story that leads into my doing Shakespeare. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, of course. Okay, there's an actress named Lynn Redgrave.
1: I know, Lynn. Did, didn't she do ads for Weight Watchers?
0: Yeah, she did ads for Weight Watchers. She, she's a movie actress. She did Georgie Girl. They're going to have to, your fans are going to have to I YouTube know, this because this is before their are YouTube it, folks. Yeah, and her sister is Vanessa Redgrave, and her daddy is Sir Michael Redgrave. So she's acting royalty. Right. Anyway, she was doing a love boat. I was directing her. Okay, and so I do a lot of Shakespeare. So we started trading Shakespearean lines, and she would quote um, Lear. I would quote Romeo and Juliet. She would quote Merchant of Venice, and I would quote.
1: like a quote-off.
0: Yeah, and so she turns and she says to me, she says, you know, Ted, you should, um, you should go to RADA, the Royal Academy of Germanic Arts. I go, oh, Lynn, no, no. She says, why not? I say, well, it's a little late now, don't you think? I mean, I'm in this part of my career, I'm famous, I make a lot of money, and uh, how could that really help me? And Lynn looked at me and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were an actor."
1: <laughs> you go, Lynn, putting yeah. you in your place, yeah. materialistic
0: fuck. Yeah, and I'm going. No, I I, I am. A, she goes, no, no, it's okay. Yeah, I understand. So after that encounter, I went and investigated going to the Royal Academy. I found out that they had a special thing during the time that I was going to be off from Love Boat, but I needed a letter of recommendation. So I called up Lynn Redgrave. I said, hi, remember me? She goes, oh, yeah. I said, I need a letter of recommendation because I want to go to RADA. She says, You're gonna go to Rada? And I well, said Well, it's Rada. Yeah, Rada. She says, You're gonna go to Rada? And I said, Yes, I'm an actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she wrote me this letter, and I went there and I learned all these things about Shakespeare. And wait.
1: He's he's going to his bag now and he's pulling out. This
0: is the book. This was my workbook oh, when wow. I was in Rada and all the stuff I learned, this was my teacher, his name is David Perry, he passed away, but that was my teacher. And so when I got there, I I wanted to learn their approach to Shakespeare because I'd taken all these classes and I know the American approach to Shakespeare, theirs is different. And uh, the first thing they told me, there are, according to physical types, you are more prevalent for certain parts. And so they said, uh, you're a puck. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm puck. They said, yeah, you walk on your toes. You're very fast. You're agile. That's puck. We want you to be Othello. And Othello is what we call press. So let me just show you this. There's a thrust, which is strong, sudden, and direct. That's mm-hmm. a character like Indiana Jones. Okay. Uh, slash is strong, sudden, meaning fast, yes. indirect, that's Richard the Third.
1: That's more manipulative and passive aggressive.
0: Well, you never walk at a character straight, you walk at him on an angle. Mm. Indirect, you're always indirect. And those little things help the ca- your characterization as an actor, okay? okay so I was known, the oppress is Othello. Strong, sustained, meaning slow, and direct. Othello always comes at you straight. But what they said that I was was uh, flick, which was light, sudden, fast, indirect, puck. Okay. Okay? So what I did was I learned their system. And in doing that, I...
1: But did they want to try and stretch you so you can also do a Richard Third character? Like, no, this is who you are naturally. This is who you should be focusing on.
0: No, it's your black. You should learn Othello. Okay okay it was as simple as that i did want to do richard the Third, and they said well we'll do richard later but we want you to do othello uh and i said well you know i'm black and they said hey are you afraid of the part no well then do it what are you arguing with us for we're the damn teacher so i go okay so i had all of these questions about othello and so i said well i, I when I read the play, I went over the play, and I started going over the scenes with them. And I said, well, I, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why that happened. Uh, and and what does this mean? And so I said, oh, Theodore, please. Theodore. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call you, Theodore. And so they started explaining stuff. And because of their explanation, I said, well, we as Americans, we don't know this stuff. We we know certain things about it, but we don't know the stuff that you're telling me. For instance, I'll give you an example, is Othello is a Muslim and he's recently converted to Christianity in order to marry Desdemona. And I said, Well, there's nowhere in the text where it says that. It says it's common sense. He's a more he's living in Venice, please. You know? So what I did was um I then Wrote, He's got a binder out now. Yes, I then wrote uh, a prequel to Othello, and all the stuff that I learned from the English I put into the prequel uh, because I also did a film version of Othello uh, in 1989. Okay, so I was I like to say I was the first African American uh, artist in America to do uh, Othello because prior to that. They were always white men in blackface. Okay, so I was the first. And then six years later, uh, Lawrence Fishburne did it.
1: I like I like Larry Fishburne.
0: He's very good. But he did it six years after me. You were
1: first. I get it. Hey, you were baby. first. Sorry, Larry.
0: No, no, no. He's good, though. But he's very, very good. And he did a wonderful job. Uh, but he had studio money. I had Love Boat residual money.
1: So you funded it yourself?
0: I funded it myself.
1: You still living on that Love Boat residual money?
0: Damn right. Good for you. Hey, baby. <laughs> yeah. So save your money. That's all I got to say. Uh, and anyway, so I did that. We took it to the Camp Film Festival. And um, it uh, 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 we got some good reviews. But the distributor that I had, uh, they sold the movie to the Orient, meaning China, Korea. You
1: just call it the Orient? I think that's, I'm, I am heard, I got a memo very politically incorrect. Am okay. I right? It's not the
0: Orient. No, I'm telling you what happened at the time.
1: So then uh, it was called the Orient, then yeah. it was okay to call it
0: the Orient? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. No, no, this is 1980 something, and okay. they said, okay, we just sold it to the Orient. Okay. Okay, and I didn't say politically incorrect, because at that time.
1: You're just happy they sold
0: it. Yeah, and so I say to them, that's, that's fantastic. They say, yeah, but you're not going to get any money. I said, well, you just told me you sold it mm-hmm. to China and Korea and Japan. Right. And they said, yeah, but you you know the little trailer that we made? Uh, we got to pay for that. I said, you didn't make the trailer. I made the trailer. And the guy doing the announces is William Shallot, who I met on the new Gidget when I was directing the new Gidget, and he did all the voiceover work as a favor to me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The the posters. You know, we put posters all up all over Cannes. Just to screw you. And so I said, Well, I put all the posters up at Cannes. I said, You know, you you haven't done any homework and you're trying to steal the money. I want my movie back. And so I took the movie back and then what I did is I had a little business where I would send out VHS tapes to different colleges oh, wow. of my film Othello and then I would go and lecture at colleges and all the stuff that I would say, well, they would say, well, Ted, when we watch the movie, what about what was this with him and Christianity? And I'll explain what I learned at Rada. Okay? And so that those elements were the things that pushed me towards writing this play, which I call The Cause My Soul, which is a prequel to Othello.
1: I um I gotta be honest, I've tried reading Shakespeare. I actually interviewed Fred Molina, who's also a great Shakespearean actor. It's hard for me, and I think someone said to me, plays are meant to be seen, not read. It's hard for me to understand all the the text there, obviously. I like the rhyming. I like the the rhythm, that iambic uh, pentameter. I like that. And I like the fun ones. Like, I tried reading some of the history plays, and I just, you know what I mean? I, I gave up and went and masturbated in my room and went to sleep. Like, it really hit me hard. But stuff like Midsummer Night's Dream and all that stuff, those are fun to see. Yeah. And, the like, I tried watching Romeo with Leonardo DiCaprio. I, I don't know. Something about it. I'd like to go to the to London to the actual theater. And I know that I've heard that the way they used to speak sounds more like an American accent than an, an English accent. Like, the way that actors used to do Shakespeare in the America. Because people are like, oh, you're American. You shouldn't be doing it. And um and I also to correct me if I'm wrong, but that Shakespeare doesn't have any subtext. People say what they feel.
0: That's absolutely right. That that's one of the things I learned in England as they said, what what there is no subtext in this, Theodore What you say at that moment is exactly what you mean. But let me say this, my whole thing was introducing Shakespeare to African-American audiences. And just this past summer, uh, we're coming out of August, but the first week in August, I did a production of uh, Twelfth Night, Mm -hmm. Twelfth Night takes place on an island called Illyria. And what I did was I changed it to Jamaica, okay? so for the very reason you're talking about. Now it's a little easier to hear. I had Jamaican accents. Uh, The actors, uh, a lot of the actors, not all of them, but a lot of the actors could do Jamaican accents. And then there are songs in Twelfth Night, I threw out all the songs, and I put in Bob Marley songs. So one of the things is uh, this girl Viola washes up on the shores of Illyria, Jamaica, and she realizes that her brother has drowned and the captain sings "No Woman, No Cry," you know. So what I did was I put in songs that uh, relate to the situation in the play. And Bob Marley had a library that was extensive enough to support my concept. So what happened is this summer we were in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We did uh, Twelfth Night, or I call the play is called Twelfth Night, or what you will, and I called it Twelfth Night, or what you will, mon. <laughs> so it it was a lot of fun and a lot of people came up to me after and says i don't get it i understood what you i understood what the play was saying and i don't usually it's you know what the i don't how did you do that and i i didn't want to go into it. i just said well we picked a great concept on it for us
1: well the good thing about dealing with such old classic texts is you can fuck with it as much as you want and not worry about rights or having the playwrights estate come to you and say you're tainted. You know what I mean? It's complete freedom. That's why they keep trying to reimagine. I have a hard time... I like seeing things staged the way they were originally to see what it was like. Sometimes I feel like people try too hard when they're doing, like, let's make it World War II and everybody's Nazis, I mean, that can get, I don't know, doesn't feel like people try too hard to wedge certain things well, in? It, this sounds more organic to me. Yeah,
0: uh, it depends, and it depends on the execution. Yeah. Because if there's something going on right now and you're trying to draw attention to it, it may be uh, doing something with Hitler and Nazis is apropos in one of his history plays, let's say, to what's going on now or to uh, someone that is a tyrant in one of the plays, uh, so yeah, it depends on the play. I say that it depends on the play, the concept, and the execution of what you're trying to say.
1: Like I'm just waiting for Trump to be you know Lear and having Ivanka and maybe some fake, you know what I mean? and Jared is the other daughter, like who's gonna split up the Empire I think I saw I saw Shakespeare in the park in New York a couple years ago and I think was it it wasn't Othello. they do a Julius Caesar and it had a lot of allusions yes. to. And I didn't know if that worked. I love the actors. I like Corey Stoll. I think he's amazing. But, some, again, sometimes it resonates with me. And other times I'm like, you're trying to fucking... It's like it feels a little too heavy-handed. <laughs> not the actor. You know what I mean? The concept. It's like if it's... Because people are smart enough, I hope. Maybe not. People are idiots. But for the most part, if you're oh, going to go... people are not
0: idiots. Some people are idiots. A lot of people are idiots. You know, but I'm just saying... 37% right now are idiots. Okay, That's
1: but Trump's... I'm saying...
0: That's Trump's crowd.
1: But, but yeah, <laughs>
0: you know, you, do you realize that the white supremacists are sporting um nazi flags and i want to say did the nazis win the last war
1: you're you're actually going for the losing side is what you're saying yeah
0: yeah. and then the other guys are doing the rebel flag did the did the rebels win did the the south win that war why are you guys attracted to losers you know i don't get it you know
1: that's a good way of putting it also disturbing way of putting it so you, it sounds like after you finished Love Boat, it wasn't this sad state of like, okay, now that my star vehicle is diminished and people only know me as Isaac till the end of time, let me go sit home depressed, live on my residuals and, you know, whatever. It sounded like you really segued nicely into a, a, a different career where you didn't care as much about the next acting gig. You were just writing and directing and, and doing other shit. Is that accurate?
0: I'm a black guy in Hollywood. If I sat at home, because when I came into this, the odds were against me, and so then I made some kind of headway, and what, I'm going to go now sit at home and cry because I'm not doing the other stuff? No, I came in to fight for my right. You know what I mean? Stand up. That's Bob Marley. No,
1: I'm familiar with the canon. No, but I think it's beyond that, too. But you had other interests, like a lot of actors. And I don't think it's – I get the race thing, but I don't think race has to do with everything all the time. I think that it's hard for actors in general. It's hard for people that aren't as attractive. It's hard for black people. It's hard for women. It's hard for women over 40. It's hard for women over 50. I mean, there's no end to it. It's like it's its easier for people that are young and attractive and have – connect, whatever it is. So I don't know – it's good to not have the victim mentality, which is like, I'm not going to sit at home. It's its realistic. It's a, he- it's a
0: head game.
1: Well, it's not only that, but I think you had other interests in in playwriting and, and and classical texts. I mean, you're not just a TV actor that came in and can do your lines. And you're like, well, what do I do now? You're not you're not you're a dum dum. It's
0: like you. What do you What do you want? You know what I mean. You're not on one level. You've developed other levels. You've got layering, yeah. so that if something goes left, well, maybe you'll write a book. Yeah. You know, I'd like to write a book. Yeah, you should write a book.
1: Because I'm having a hard time.
0: I know someone that can-
1: you know a good ghost writer? Yeah. Oh my God, what's her name?
0: Eris. But you'll you'll meet her if if you want me
1: okay. to. I'll, I'll introduce you. I'd, I'd rather write it myself. I don't trust ghost writers.
0: You don't. No. Okay, I'm glad uh, to know that.
1: <laughs> um. Well, so what's okay? So you're still in touch with some of the cast. I know that Fred Grandy. Uh, I know his son wrote for SNL for a while, a successful yeah, writer. Yeah. But wasn't he a senator? You know, it's so funny. I have bias too. Whenever an Writersman. actor. No. Congressman, okay. I, if I knew the difference, I'd be smarter. But the government system is still. I'm like House of Representatives, and who legislates, and who are the senators, and if you're a congressman, what does that mean? Where's the congressman
0: sit? What do they do? Well, they're in Congress. That's how it works. They don't sit in the Senate. They right.
1: The, the Congress, Congress. okay. Right. I'll look. I can go I can Wikipedia yeah, that now, shit. You,
0: you know, you're starting to sound a little bit like the president.
1: Well, I mean, he doesn't probably know that. No, it he doesn't a clue. Uh, yeah. I know, I know, but um, he does have a festive. I do like because I'm thinking of dyeing my hair. I do. I might go for that tone just for fun. You know what I mean? That kind of. Well, it's not really orange. I think it's got more of a a passion fruit.
0: A passion yeah, fruit. I feel like
1: it's got a passion fruit hue to it. But that's just me. I, I'm one of the only few people that like the hair. I got to tell you, if he had like a buzz cut, he doesn't have a good head head shape for buzz cuts, and if he had. And it's not a toupee, right? I mean, it doesn't. is it a toupee? We don't know. I think it blew up in the wind once. I think it's his real thing. He's doing the spread. But when I think of what a good hair color would be for him, I don't have one because he's obviously gray. And if it was gray, it would be a little too much gray and white and pink. You know what I mean? Too pastel Um. But if he dyed it brown, it would be a disaster because those men that dye their hair brown, you can see it from a mile away. That looks terrible. So I feel like this is the best color for him. I feel like people give him flack for the wrong shit. Don't give him flack for his hair hair color choices. I will. Okay. Fair that. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so you're doing this prequel to Othello. You um there's not gonna be a love boat reboot. Julie McCoy's doing drugs, but she's a friend of yours,
0: so we're not gonna talk shit about her. No, oh, no, she stopped. She and as a matter of fact, she stopped while she was on the show.
1: Did they say you're gonna lose your job if you don't stop? Was she coming in all wired?
0: Uh I never noticed it. See, that was that was the problem, is they said, hey, you know, the next thing I know, I'm reading something in TV Guide. But I never saw it. So, But by the time she had gotten undone and went to a healthier lifestyle, she pissed off the wrong people. Understood. And so what happens when you do that is they look for things to get rid of you on.
1: So in terms of all those actors, I feel like you and Fred were really the ones with the most festive post-Love Boat life, right? Because everybody else kind of fizzled into oblivion. Is Vicky? What's Vicky no, doing? No,
0: they're all—they're all. They're all Everyone's doing stuff. I mean, Gavin represents Princess Cruise Lines, and so does Vicky. So they do stuff. But she's a wonderful nightclub. Vicky, uh, Jill is a wonderful nightclub performer. Oh wow, well, like like vaudeville or like burlesque? No, 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 like uh, jazz and uh, wow, pop. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. So, no, we've all, but we're not in the mainstream consciousness like we were. That's the deal. Well,
1: it's hard to top.
0: Yeah, and my, so my Shakespeare is not in the mainstream consciousness. They don't know that, and uh, so I've done a couple of things uh you know guested on television shows been in a couple of movies independent movies not studio movies so i mean you can find out what everybody is doing you just google the name and then you'll see a whole list that's a bernie bernie did uh superstore i think it's called a tv sitcom oh
1: okay wait so bernie's doc
0: doc yes doc did one of those so we're still working, but it's just not the same as it was. It's not every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not 70 million people watching you. Now it's more like 11 or 12. Okay. You know, so it's a different...
1: Do body. you miss it, or are you happy to not be on a set every...
0: No, I I liked the crew. I liked the people. I liked the the cast, the actors. I liked meeting different actors that were coming in, you know, right. some, some of whom were heroes of mine. But, uh... Uh, Some of the backstage stuff I didn't like. With uh, You had
1: all those run-ins with the producers.
0: Yeah, with the management. So, uh, you know, if if I get a shot to do another one and and I have that kind of thing going on, I don't want to do that. I don't have any ulcers, you know what I'm saying? I'm not doing drugs or I'm not abusing alcohol. I'm in a pretty good place in my life, and part of that is because I didn't have to. You know, people cope differently. You know, so I figured out how to cope with where I am now. I write plays. I direct plays. Uh, I'm getting ready to direct Fences in March in Syracuse, New York, at a theater called the Red House Theater. Uh, August Wilson is the playwright for Fences. And so later on next month, I'm going to go to New York City and cast.
1: What were some of the most famous actors that guest starred on the show and how was your interaction with them any anecdotes
0: it was fun I mean I I, I cannot tell I I'd have to you know except for like I my favorite story is my first screen kiss was Diane Carroll oh, sure. uh the Pointer Sisters I went to high school with the Pointer Sisters wow. and one of the first things episodes that I wrote was for the Pointer Sisters
1: and who else any other like classic film stars that in their older age came and guest starred on, like Humphrey Bogart or some shit?
0: Well, Humphrey Bogart yeah, has been okay, well, you know what <laughs> what? But I'm going to tell you this story. Our hairdresser was Humphrey Bogart's hairdresser. I love that. And he was doing a cane mutiny. And this is a story she told me. She said he had a deal that at 6, six, six o'clock, no matter where they were in the shooting, her job was to come over and take off his toupee.
1: He had a toupee?
0: Yeah, he had a toupee. Oh. And if they were rolling, and it was 6 o'clock, oh one seconds, her job was to take off the toupee.
1: He wasn't trying to hide it, even.
0: No, no, no. Well, they, they hid it for him, but he's saying, I got to go. I'm done. You you guys should have got me done by 5 It's 6. I'm out of here. So they went to her. She tells a story where the producers went to her and said, look, we we know we're going to go over uh, a little bit and it's going to go past six o'clock. Can you not come in and take off his toupee? She said, gentlemen, the studio is not paying my salary. Humphrey Bogart is paying my salary. She says, you do what you want to do, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> come six o'clock. And she went right on over and took that toupee off. Oh, wow. You know, Now she saved my life. Now, this goes again back to uh, friendship and working relationships. I um I was doing something, and the producer that I was telling you about early had me doing something that he knew I didn't want to do. And I was sitting on a set, and I was getting really, really mad, just angry, and she saw it. And she came over to me. She said, Ted, your hair's not right. And she stuck her hands in my head and started massaging my head. She saved my job and saved my life because as she did it... <laughs> I slowly, I slowly, Ray Lynn, I got comfortable and it wasn't so bad after all. And she's yeah. saying, uh, you know, I mean, and that's the kind of relationship that we had with the crew. When I started directing, we had a a, um, a makeup guy named Larry Dar, funny guy. He was a cowboy, uh, uh, literally a cowboy, and he would he would say, "Hey, Ted, you know, you know what's funny?" And they're not doing, and he would tell me. He said, if they did this and then," I said, Larry, that's a funny bit. He said, yeah, but they don't listen to makeup, man. So when I directed, I told the crew, I gathered all the crew, I said, listen, if you got an idea that you think is funnier, when you see us do that if you've got an idea you think is funnier than what we're doing, say something to me. Now, I might use it, I might not use it, but don't hold it in. And so Larry was said, did you mean that? I I said, I said it for you. Cause you're our funny guy. And so he would come over and he'd say, Ted, what do you think of this? I go, no. he go, Hey Ted, what do you think of this? I said, Ooh, Larry, that's good. And so then I would implement it and you have no idea what that does for the camaraderie on set.
1: I'm sure it does. Yeah. Now, did, did they serve real alcohol when you were mixing drinks on set? Was that real booze or was that all just like artificial coloring?
0: No, that was artificial. But we had a guy named David Wayne. I don't know if you know who David Wayne is. A Broadway actor, uh, Ensign Pulver, uh, and he was in Mister Roberts on Broadway. He went out for lunch and he came back and he was no more good. <laughs> now I didn't serve him the alcohol. He got it at lunchtime at a at a place not far from the set. And uh, the other one we had was Forrest Tucker. Do you know Forrest That's Tucker? Uh, you guys can Google this name. Uh, Forrest Tucker was on a, a TV series called F Troop. Okay, okay. He, was the, he was the head honcho on F Troop. Okay. And what he would do is he had a little styrofoam, styrofoam cup. And he would take a...
1: Like an alcoholic.
0: Yeah, well, just there was two fingers mm-hmm. in the cup. And he'd talk to us and he'd tell us old Hollywood stories. And he'd sip. And they'd say, okay, we're ready to do the shot. He would drain the cup, hand it to his daughter and he'd go and he'd shoot the scene, would not miss a beat. Come back, stand with us, and he'd stick his hand out, and his daughter gave him the styrofoam cup, and it was two fingers again. He did that all day, Ray Lin.
1: Look, there are a lot of, plenty of actors, especially a lot of British classical actors that all turned out to be boozers that ended up giving great performances. At some point, it's, it's all going to combust, or your liver's going to combust, but there are a lot of high-functioning fucking, I mean, you know, and people put up with that, Shit, if they're brilliant, right? You've heard about well, abusive, For- crazy.
0: Forrest Tucker never missed a beat. He, and and he knew where the jokes were, you know what I'm saying? And you go like this, wow. Yeah. How does that guy?
1: If only all alcoholics were like that, it would be a much more festive place.
0: Well, yeah, David Wayne couldn't hold a candle to
1: this yeah. guy. I yeah, half no, a glass no, of red wine. I'm like, what are we yeah, doing? Yeah. I'm going to wrap up here, uh, Mr. Uh, Ted Lange. All right, Ray Lynn it was amazing to have you. I'm kind of a little star a little celebrity driven here. I will. A little bit, a little bit. Um, but I'm excited to read. I'm going to read some Shakespeare. I'm going to read Othello. And I'm going to, hopefully, can I read your play? I'll send
0: it to you, Raylan. I'll email you a copy of it, and then you can see what we did. Like As a matter of fact, I'm going to be in Connecticut October 17th, and I'm going to be at the Shakespeare Oxford Forum Fellowship, okay. Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship, at Mark Twain's house oh, wow. in October, and I'm going to uh, read from uh, the play and explain uh, how it works and what, what I did with Shakespeare's well, Othello. I, yeah,
1: Hopefully I can maybe play Othello one day. You know what I mean? Maybe uh, if they're I willing to just stretch Des, Des- Desdemona. Desdemona. All right, I can yeah. do that. I'm just trying to stretch, stretch casting a bit. because um, Just like you feel, like you know what I mean. people with mullets, there's not as much work out there. We get typecast. You know what I mean? Well, that's why they invented wigs. Yeah, but it's like, still, it's like, you know what I mean? They, they see. Put that Roll that mullet yeah, up. Maybe, maybe a little ponytail. That, yeah, you're right, yeah, maybe, I, maybe. maybe. You know what, you're right. If I, you're going to do Othello, which is in blackface, you can roll the mullet yeah, up. You know what, you're right. You're right. You're 100% <laughs> right. I love you, Ted Lange. I love um, stay tuned, and I love you all. This is Raylan Casper-White signing off.